0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I have found this week very interesting, very peaceful, as I did the previous week. Uh, have you noticed that since January 20th, when Trump was no longer president, Everything's so calm out there in the world. I know things are going on, but it's normal things. There is a normalcy in our country and in the world. He is not screwing things up. He is not coming up with 18 different stories every day, uh, most of which are false. And it dominates the news. I was fed up with him. Oh, and I'm sure many of you were. Now television is as it was four years ago. You have news. You have good things, bad things. You got happiness more happiness than sadness. And it's just wonderful. I, I, I'm enjoying it. I, I truly am. And I, I wonder how many of you are experiencing the same feelings that I am having. I hope many. Now, today, we're going to take a little trip around the world. Washington, D.C., Norway, billionaire bunker in Miami, Florida, T West, France, Belgium, Brussels, Tampa, new york city and hollywood were all over the place as you can see for four hours this afternoon uh the impeachment trial was on It had started the issue was whether the um it was constitutional for them to proceed since trump was no longer president and i found it very interesting i found i only watched two hours of it because i was working on the show for tonight uh, what I did watch, and the news I read afterwards, is uh, the Democrats played the game correctly and worked on the constitutionality and looked very good and very professional. The Republicans, their two lawyers looked like assholes. I caught them. <laughs> and uh, the reason's very simple. Trump's gone through, what, seven or eight sets of attorneys? Uh, you know, the first set was probably terrific. The second group, almost terrific. But now he's down. He's to the bottom of the barrel. Do you see what I'm saying? And I thought they were lousy attorneys, quite frankly, and I'm in a position to know. And I've noticed on the news tonight that was a lot of the reaction from a lot of the newscasters. Anyhow, uh, the constitutionality passed. It was found by a vote of 56 to 44 at the Democrats winning. And that it was so. Uh, six of the votes, because Kamala Harris can't vote in this situation. So there's 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. Uh, the vote being 56 to 44, it means that six Republicans crossed over and voted with the Democrats. Now you say, oh, terrific, this is good, because at the end of this trial, when we vote again, they're going to find guilty of impeachment not going to work that way the reason is the constitution requires in this situation that you can only impeach a president by a two-thirds vote not a majority vote so that means that the democrats need 67 votes they have to get 17 votes from the republican side which is impossible you're not going to get that many to go i i, I don't understand these republican senators who won't budge They've seen the videos. They know what happened. Most of them were right there in the chambers that day, uh, but they don't accept it. Uh, they should, as Americans. They should be insulted. Uh, some of them are in danger, physical danger. Uh, I, I just don't comprehend their stubbornness. Uh, they've got to be afraid of Donald Trump. Uh, I, I, You know, we don't hear from Trump anymore <laughs> because he can't Twitter, <laughs> He doesn't know how to—it's like a person who doesn't know how to write or a person who doesn't know how to speak. He has to Twitter to communicate, and he never developed that talent, or he lost it, apparently, is a better way of saying it. So it isn't going to happen in the end, but the country, again, will get the true story point by point of what happened. We all think we do know. I believe we're going to have some surprises that are going to come out during this week. So that is the story with the impeachment. Now we go Nobel Peace Prize. You recall last year Donald Trump was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I thought, how can this be? (laughs) I mean, really, how could it be? Uh, As you appreciate, and I explained to a lot of people on the show last year, and wrote in my blog, uh, there's 300 to 400 people nominated for one award, maybe two people for one award a year. So I didn't think Trump had any way of making it last year. And I figured he had some friend from around the world to nominate him, which was the case, I forget who. It's very easy to nominate someone for the Nobel Prize. Someone could nominate some of you people. Someone could nominate me. If you've you got a high position in a college or full professor, if you have a political post of any consequence, things like that, you have the capacity, the ability to know, nominate someone for this prize. So last year, Trump got nominated. Of course, he didn't win, but he said, you know, I was nominated. It's a thing to be proud of. But if you know the background, 300 to 400 people are going to get nominated. You are not impressed. Well, comes this year. uh, This is even more interesting. We start with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Guess what? This year, Kushner was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, Jared was. He was nominated by, uh, what's his name, Uh, Dershowitz, the attorney, Alan Dershowitz, the Harvard law emeritus professor. Uh, I'm sure they're close, they're friends, and he probably said to Alan, nominate me. That's how these things are done many times. Uh, two days later, after Jared is nominated, guess what? It's announced that Donald Trump has been nominated for the second consecutive year. Again, my mind being the way it is, I've got to think Trump was upset that his son-in-law got nominated and he didn't. And he got a hold of some friend, some word to nominate him. The man who nominated him, Trump, was an Estonian. He's an Estonian member of the European Parliament. His name is Jacques, J-A-A-K, Jacques Madison. And the reason he said he nominated Trump was he's the first American president in 30 years who did not start a war. Uh, as I think about it, the guy's correct. What's the big deal? <laughs> We're still in 18,000 other wars. Uh, but that's it's it's a compliment. Can't say it isn't. And he also thought, and this was a more important thing, that Trump had signed several peace agreements in the Middle East. Okay, which have helped, okay, bring stability in the Middle East—a never something that didn't exist uh, since 1947. Well, that's true. what's happened is this. Israel has money today. The the Middle East countries, Saudi Arabia, uh, countries like that, they've got money. Now, they want to do business with each other, but how can they do business with each other if they're enemies and they have been for over 50 years? So uh, Jared, on behalf of Trump, made a deal over there so they entered into an agreement. I talked about it last week. Israel and the Middle East countries, it, it's a non-committal agreement. Something like that is the terminology. It's, it, it's not a contract. It's not a treaty. But it's that they're able to do business with each other. So now they're both, both sides are going to make money, and Jared probably also in the meantime, and that's how that works. But they're both up for the nomination, and I guarantee you neither will win. I want to stay with Jared Kushner for a moment, and I want to stay with his wife, Ivanka. Uh, I was always under the impression, and I know I'm correct, and you know I'm correct, that when someone goes to work for a president in the White House, and don't forget that Jared and Ivanka were senior advisors. They were right in the Oval Office, around the Oval Office, uh, with uh, the president. They've been there for four years. When you take a job like that, you have to take all of your financial, your money, and put it in a trust. You can't invest this stuff on your own because you're in a position to know what the hell is going on, and you can't make uh, favored deals like that. So they don't know how much money they made. And as I recall... Jared didn't have that much money four years ago. He was in debt, up his behind. Uh, He needed money desperately. If you recall, he tried making uh, deals with two countries so he could get favorable banking personally. One was Qatar, Qatar, Q-A-T-A-R, Q-T-A-R. That fell through. Uh, But what I'm going to share with you now shows that working in the White House has been very beneficial to Jared and Ivanka. It was reported last week, okay, that the two of them combined last year made $120 million. Did you hear me? Well, they're working in the White House and they're, they're working for a dollar a year, by the way. They, they waived their salary when they took the job four years ago. How nice. They made $120 million. How do you make $120 million while you're working in the White House? You've got to be breaking the rules. You have to be using your job to suit yourself for your own benefit, for your pocketbook's benefit, for your bank account's benefit. And obviously these two must have been doing it, Jared and J- Ivanka. How wonderful. How wonderful. How wonderful. These are the people, I I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, they bought a lot in in Miami in a place called Billionaire Bunker. That's the name of the little island within Miami. And they only bought a lot to build a house on. You know what they paid for the lot? $31 million. Now I wonder where the hell they get this money. They probably paid cash for it earning the kind of money they did. Which now brings me to Pebble Beach. Most of you uh, have heard of Pebble Beach. It's the fantastic resort and country club, golf club. Golf club is what it's best known for in California. uh, It's, I think, north or south of San Francisco. I have been fortunate to have played golf twice at Pebble Beach Wild. Okay, this is what I want to tell you, because the Pebble Beach Tournament starts Thursday this week. It's called the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. That means that each pro has an amateur partner, and they have that going on also during the professional tournament uh, as teams. This year, because of the coronavirus, uh, there will be no amateurs playing. It's going to be strictly the pros. Pebble Beach will strictly be pros this year. Begins Thursday, runs through Sunday. Um, Tough course. That's why I'm sharing it with you. Not sharing it because I played it twice. It's a tough course. It is without a doubt the hardest course I have ever played on. (laughs) No question about it. Uh, So you can appreciate what I'm saying. I am the world's worst golfer. I acknowledge it. Uh, I'm ashamed to tell you my handicap. It's that bad. I am the world's worst golfer, but I don't care. I go. I, I started the game late in life, and I didn't want to commit myself to the time of to put into it to become expertise. So I go out there for the camaraderie It's wonderful playing golf with guys. I go out there for the nature of the game. It's beautiful outside on a golf course. Absolutely magnificent. And for the 19th hole, I enjoy going in afterwards and sitting down and sharing a few laughs and, uh, and drinks with the people I played with. And also on some nights, playing cards. For years at my club in Utica, I played pitch. It was a high school game. We used to play pitch. All right, judges, lawyers, doctors, play pitch. Anyhow, this is a tough course. When I did play the two times I played, uh, I played with people who were all excellent golfers. They were Their handicaps were next to nothing, to 10 probably. Uh, one was a Supreme Court judge from New York, a doctor, my son. Uh, a prominent banker, people like this, and they were—they played golf, these guys. They were good, and I knew it when I went there. i played with them before uh, in Utica, and uh, I thought I did bad, shooting 40 strokes worse. This course was so hard that each one of them shot 20 strokes worse than they normally did. That's how tough this course is, my friends. You have no idea. Now, I'm going to enjoy watching this tournament. I'm going to watch most of it this weekend because every year I watch it, I remember every one of those holes. I was in the worst place on every one of those holes. And it's just nice now to sit back and say, gee whiz, I was there and I hit my ball over here. I didn't. I lost it over here. I hit it in the water. Water, water. You have no idea how much water. Anyhow, it's going to be fun. If you're at all interested in golf, don't. Missed the tournament. It's an exciting place. May Johnson. Those of you who live in the Key West area, the Lower Keys. Those of you who read uh, on a daily basis the Key West Citizen uh, know of May Johnson. Uh, we have. A, there's a section in the Key West Citizen newspaper that's called His, uh, Key West History. Key West History. And somewhere along the line last year, someone uh started writing uh, one day of a woman's diary she was a young girl she was 19 when we started this she's now 20 uh we started in 1896 is now 1897 she's 20 or 21 years old school teacher and we followed her diary every day oh how interesting uh, her boyfriend, nurse, Ernesto, he's working out of town. They rarely see each other. They're deeply in love. She writes him long letters, but at the same time, <laughs> every night she's out with a different guy, and she's dancing most nights at a place in those days that was here called La Brisa. It was a dance pavilion on the ocean. Uh, and I'm wondering, this girl's always out with another guy. This woman, uh, the boyfriend's probably going out with women wherever he's working can't last, but it's lasted two years. I'm saying I can't believe they're going to end up marrying. I've heard along the way, and so have you, that uh, long-distance marriage uh, relationships don't work. They break up eventually. Anyhow, here's what happens. It's indicated in the paper this morning in The Citizen that uh, we aren't going to hear about May Johnson anymore in a day or two. And I didn't know why. So I got on the telephone. I wanted to know what the hell was happening with Mae Johnson. I called about 15 people. Most didn't know until I found a couple of people who had the background. One, fortunately, works for the newspaper. She had it all. Uh, The story is this. Uh, Her diary wasn't one volume. It's several volumes. The pages are old and worn in each diary. The diary we're in now is going to finish in a day or two. But each diary, before it is reported, has to be, and the term they use is translated, which means someone has to sit down and figure out what each word is. And this takes a lot of time, apparently. And they haven't done it yet with the new diary they should be going through starting this week because the woman who normally does it apparently isn't doing it this year. She doesn't work for the library from once all this comes. Uh, So here's the story. What I wanted to know, because I've been very suspicious of May and uh, 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 her boyfriend, I didn't think they'd ever get married because May is going out too much every night with different guys. Well, here's the story as I received it. It may not be totally accurate. It's generally accurate because I picked the brains of everyone I could reach this morning who I thought might know. She does not end up marrying Everest. The love of her life, her heartthrob, these are the terms she uses. They didn't marry. She ended up marrying a pharmacist in the Navy, last name Douglas. They eventually lived in Washington, D.C. Then they became back to Key West. May became a pillar of, of the community here in Key West. Uh, she was involved in everything. She was a member of the women's club, which is a big deal down here with the ladies. Uh, she she lived till 1951. Interesting. She she's a teenager, in effect, a little more than a teenager in 1896 and 97. She dies in 1951, 64 years old. 64 years old. Amazing. Uh, and she died here in Key West. And uh, she's buried here in the Key West Cemetery, and one of the people told me they spoke to her this morning. She's a beautiful uh, tombstone, and someone along the way wrote a long story about her, handwritten on paper, put it in a plastic envelope, and that plastic envelope had been, has been sitting attached to the stone for years. People go up and read it. I never knew this, and then if I ever get out of the house again, I'm in self-quarantine. I must go and see it. So Mae Johnson's going to be gone in a day or two and may not come back if they can't, uh, and I use the term again, translate her subsequent diaries, but she did not end up marrying Everest. I suspect that it had to happen, not that I have a devious evil mind, but it just didn't make sense her going out every night. So that's the story there. We're all going to miss Mae Johnson. It was interesting to read a page from her diary every day, and they had the days if today is June 5th, her diary was June 5th. Do you follow me? So it worked out pretty good. Oh, boy. Now, interesting things happening over in Europe. Uh, we know that. Uh, I want to talk now about, but first I'm to talk about a police raid outside of Paris in a town called Collagen. C-O-L-L-E-G-I-A-N, Collagen. Uh, here's the story. There was a sex party. The police described it as an orgy. I think it probably was a swingers' party. Eighty-one people. They had rented this huge warehouse, and they were partying. Uh, For some reason, the police raided it. Uh, must be this is against the law, this kind of sex. I don't think it is in the United States, uh, as long as it's private. And this apparently was private. That wasn't the problem. There was no noise being made that other people can hear. Uh, Obviously, no one was concerned about getting coronavirus because they're in their bare ass having a good time. Anyhow, 81 people were arrested. Some of these 81 were lawmakers from nine other European countries besides France. All right. Uh, They got arrested. This is very embarrassing. What do we charge them with? Got to be easy on them. We got some heavyweights in this thing. So they ended up charging these 81 people, each one of them, with breaking the curfew, the coronavirus cur- curfew. The curfew in that area, that's outside of Paris, in that area, is 6 p.m. every evening, 6 p.m. The raid wasn't until 11 o'clock at night. So they charged them. That was the simplest thing they could find. A lot of heavyweights in this group. Uh, they, they pled guilty, every one of them, gave the, the police no trouble. Uh, They paid a fine of 135 euros, which is not a hell of a lot of money, and went away happy. Now, this must be a common thing. Maybe it's common in the United States, too. I thought this thing died in our country in the 1970s. Belgium. The same week, they had a raid in Belgium. (laughs) This was a small party, only 52 people. They call this a sex orgy also in the newspaper. Uh, Anyhow, the reason they they got caught, they were making noise. It was a a party at a house. They had 52 people. There must've been a big house. They were making a lot of noise. And there was a COVID-19 clinic across the street and neighbor's houses around. And apparently several of the neighbors complained to the police, so the police raided the place. Everyone there was from France, except for two people. Uh, turns out, this is what my reading showed up this week, that Belgium is the sex orgy capital of the world today. Yeah. It has a reputation for sex parties. They call them with a French word. They name it P-A-R-T-O-U-G-E-S. Part of I am not pronouncing it correctly. Anyhow. This isn't the end of it. This isn't the end of it. Now there's a party in Brussels. This is all within a two-week period. We have a party in Brussels. Another sex orgy, as it is described, with one difference from the previous two. This one only had men. Twenty-five men. Now, one of the men there was an MEP member. Uh, that he is a he was a Hungarian representative to the MEP, his name is Josel Seger, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, first name's J-O-Z-E-L, second last name S-C-A-J-E-R, anyhow, he was there, and he says, gotta get out of here, bare ass, close in hand, he went out a window in the back. The police caught him. <laughs> I'm sorry. For, I think this is a joke, but it's true. Uh, the next day, he resigned from his position with the MAP, said for health reasons. Probably his wife hitting him over the head. Uh, now, what else do we got? Anything else on this sex orgies thing? Uh, oh, yes. How can they do this? 81 people in France. Uh, of the 50-some-odd people in Belgium, all but two were French. And I say it this way because France has Europe's worst COVID-19 infection rate. It's the highest rate in Europe. Not number, rate. That becomes important how they compute these things. And right now, France has 3.3 million cases of coronavirus. They've had 78,000 people dead. Uh, Why are they doing this? Here I am. I'm not having a good time doing this thing. I'm in self-quarantine. I'm into my 329th day in self-quarantine. I don't go anyplace, I'm afraid I'm going to get the bug. They're out there having a good time. Uh, Right now we're going to go to Amanda Gorman. Remember that wonderful girl? Uh, Young, black, beautiful woman, 22 years old, tiny, Harvard graduate. She read a poem at Biden's inauguration. It was magnificent. It was touching. Uh, And she's she's the hit in this country right now. For Super Bowl, just before the toss of the coin, she appeared on a video show. She was being interviewed. And she read a poem she wrote for what's going on now in the country and the world and the Super Bowl, which I happen to read parts of it. It was beautiful. I didn't hear it because... I, I didn't get into the game. I didn't watch the game until after they kicked off. Uh, but it was terrific. She's going to be the poet laureate of this country in the next couple of years, and she'll be so for the next 50 years. And she's got a glorious uh, future ahead of her. She should be proud. She wrote two books which are going to be published. They're with a publisher but haven't been issued yet. They happen to have been on the for sale list uh and she wasn't doing very well with pre-publication sales, as they call it. One day after the inauguration, her two books were number one and number two on the New York Times bestseller list, and they weren't even for sale yet with the public. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. God bless her. Marjorie Taylor Greene, that awful, terrible woman uh, who's nuts, she's a conspiracy theorist person. Uh, She said all kinds of terrible things. She got up. She got thrown off her committee. She's a Republican from, I think, Ohio or someplace. She got thrown off all her committees in Congress because of the terrible things that she was saying that they had no merit, no truth. You had to be crazy to believe them or say them. So the next day after she got thrown off these committees, she stood up and And Congress, before everyone, said, I'm sorry. Oh, my God, I didn't realize these things were that bad. I'm terrible. Sorry. Never do it again. (laughs) Before the week was out, this has just become public. Before the week was out, uh, she came up with a new one. This woman's nuts. She said, I don't think those people on January 6th who are claimed to be pro temp, that mom who, who, who violated the Capitol, were Trump people. No, not Trump people. They were not Trump supporters. They came from the other side, apparently Democratic progressives, black people, and so forth. Tell me, how many black people did you see on TV afterwards? You saw none or next to none. Okay, well, i got to tell you, that's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed. I love doing this show. I love preparing it. Uh, I love sharing my thoughts with you. I love the communications I get back. Not everyone agrees with me. More do than don't, though, I've got to say that. But the ones that don't are very formidable, and they're heavy. They knock the hell out of me. But anyhow, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the research, and I'm glad you return and you join me every week. I look forward to being with you again next week. Have a good evening.